So he's playing this game, and uh, she said the next day he went into hospital for his fourth round of chemotherapy, and she said that he said to the nurse that he finally got why he was having chemotherapy. And that's all because he got 300 points and a power-up for capturing a bag of chemotherapy in that game. And she said there was a lightness about him that she hadn't seen before in, in all of his treatment. So just the act of playing that single game had changed his attitude towards this really invasive and really unpleasant treatment, uh, which I, th I think for me just completely speaks to the power of games and gamification. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Dom Rabin, the founder and CEO of Exploro. While originally founded in the UK, Exploro has recently established its headquarters here in Cleveland, accompanying closing on over $1.7 million in funding in a round led by local investors, including Comeback Capital, University Hospitals Ventures, and Jumpstart Ventures. Exploro is an award-winning and clinically validated health information platform that uses augmented reality, gameplay, and artificial intelligence to deliver health information to young patients in a way that makes them feel empowered, engaged, and informed whilst having fun at the same time. By putting health information in the hands of children, using language that they understand and interaction paradigms that they are familiar with, Exploro aims to reduce their stress and their anxiety and improve their clinical outcomes all while improving child health literacy. Dom founded Exploro when he realized that the provisioning of information preparing children for hospitalization is quite poor when his daughter at the age of 13 was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma and had to navigate this whole process. Fortunately, she is now cancer-free, but when she was ill, nobody had told her what to expect, which made her feel scared, anxious, and alone. And Dom honed in on this problem and that it is not unique to their experience. And so we founded Exploro to provide children with the information that they need and they deserve. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dom as we explore his commitment to user-centric design, the power of gamification, the transformative implications of Exploro, and his broader vision beyond pediatric cancer to build a health information platform for any patient of any age with any condition. I hope you all enjoy it as well after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Air CFO, whose story we actually shared back on episode 23 of Lay of the Land with Air CFO's founder and CEO, Justin McLaughlin. For many founders, dealing with finances and taxes is stressful, confusing, and time consuming. Yet without paying proper attention to your finances and taxes, you won't be able to produce accurate nor timely financials and forecasts for your team or for your investors. And even worse, if you miss critical tax deadlines, you'll get hit with unnecessary penalties from the IRS. These kinds of financial and tax missteps can jeopardize your entire startup and your vision. Running a startup is hard enough. Work with AirCFO and you'll get best-in-class finance, accounting, HR, and tax support. AirCFO takes care of your back office so you can focus on growing from startup to scale-up. 
As a Lay of the Land listener, visit aircfo.com for more information and to set up a call. And tell them Lay of the Land sent you. Again, that's aircfo.com. The link will be in the show notes. So uh, a frequently recurring topic of conversation surrounding the Cleveland and Northeast Ohio entrepreneurship world, I'll call it, is that we need to recruit companies to the area and it, it branches off from there to address talent, retention, capital, and all these other factors that affect the situation. And I've been really excited for this conversation because we don't have to think about this problem in the hypothetical because... This is precisely what you've done and you've established Exploro's headquarters here in Cleveland, among many reasons I'm excited to talk to you, but, but looking forward to unpacking you know, that whole motivation and, and the work you're doing at large. So thank you for, for joining us, Dom. Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me and I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. So I know you have a, a passion for creating stuff and as we make our way to Exploro, I'd love to just hear a little bit about you know, where that passion comes from and how it's manifested in entrepreneurship o- over time. So I've been creating stuff uh, for a very, very <laughs> long time. I actually started off as a teenager creating fanzines, music magazines in the late 1970s. So I'm an old guy and I embarked on a career in design Uh, I set up my first design company back in uh, the mid-80s, initially as a a one-man band outfit and then went on to run a number of different uh, design and digital agencies working for customers like MTV and uh, and some of the big broadcasters and uh, lots of arts organizations and record labels and that kind of thing. So, So I've been kind of making things, creating things, designing things uh, for a I guess, nearly 40-odd years. So, uh, yeah, a long a long and varied career. <laughs> well, I know there's, a, there's quite a personal impetus for Explorer's creation and through this context of, you know, your passion for, for creating stuff. Can you, you know, just take us through your, your journey there and, and what, uh, what the motivations yeah. for, for Explorer are? Yeah, so back in uh, 2011, so what, 12 years ago now, I had to deal with the news that my daughter, who was 13 at the time, had been diagnosed with cancer. And I'll, I'll just say really quickly, she's she's 11 years cancer-free. She's doing great. But, uh, you know, that, that news at that time was... As, as I'm sure you and, and anyone listening to this can imagine, was absolutely devastating. She went through a horrendous year of treatment. She was treated at six different hospitals in total, both in the United States and in the UK. And the clinical outcome of that treatment was really, really good. But it was clear that what was missing from, from her experience was information. So she had no prior information about any of the people she would meet. Really confusing, you know, when you go into a hospital and you're suddenly surrounded by all of these physicians and you've, no, you've got no idea who they are or what they do. She had no information about any of the environments she was going into. So, for instance, uh, she had proton beam therapy in Jacksonville in Florida, uh, which involved us traveling 4,000 miles from the UK to Florida, but she had no idea, A, what proton beam therapy was, or B, 
what that environment would be like when she got there. So that lack of information had a real impact on her. It made her really scared, really anxious about what was happening. It made her very resistant to treatments uh, because she didn't know what their purpose was. And that unfamiliarity of those environments just served to increase her levels of anxiety. And and she was, you know, it was obvious that that she was she was suffering because of that lack of information. And whenever there was any information, uh, which was which was very seldom, it was it wasn't age appropriate, uh, and it wasn't directed at her. So you, we would find uh, that physicians would be talking to my wife and I about mm. my thirteen-year-old daughter who was standing there off to the side, and it's her who's got cancer, and yet no one is talking to her about her 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 condition and what she's going through. So, so. When she got the all clear, I, I kind of started thinking about this lack of information and uh, the impact it had on her and realized that, you know, that's not going to be limited to my daughter. That's that's something that not just children experience when they come into hospital, but, you know, adults as well. But generally, hospitals are pretty crap at telling patients what's going to happen. And so I got really interested in the idea that information in and of itself can be a, a bona fide therapy. And I started doing lots of desk-based research, trawling through Google Scholar, trying to see what research evidence there was around that. And I discovered that there's lots and lots of research evidence. And it's common sense, but there's research evidence that says, provide patients with information prior to an intervention, and they experience reduced anxiety, and that can lead to better clinical outcomes and better long-term engagement with health services. So I thought, right, okay, so we've got to, we've got to do something about providing patients with information. And it's, it wasn't just about providing patients with information. It was about providing age-appropriate information. So we started thinking about how do we, how do we make information attractive to children of my daughter's age when they're coming into hospital? And, and so the way we went about answering that question was we invited some children into our agency and we, we gave them a week-long work placement. And we said, right, during this week, we want you to think about what you would like if you were coming into hospital. And to a T, they all came up with game ideas. So it was obvious that we were going to do something based around, based around game-like interactions. So that's really how Explorer came about. That was the, the original kind of impetus for it. I do love how sensical and intuitive your approach to, to addressing this problem is. And I definitely we'll, 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 we'll talk about you know, involving uh, those affected by the problem as part of the solution because it's, it's such a, a formative point there. But as, as you were doing the research to understand why things are the way they are today, to me, it's it's kind of wild that in a world with such information abundance, that the provision of information preparing children for for hospitalization would be so bad. So, what what did you find or understand about what is preventing the current system from adequately, you know, offering a, a solution here that that makes this kind of sensical uh, sense? I, I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, one certainly in the UK, but also in the US. Physicians tend to focus on curing diseases or treating diseases rather than thinking about the patient's needs. You know, you go to med school, there's 
virtually no training on how to talk to and interact with patients. It's all about use this medicine, use this procedure, uh, do this, do that, but it's not about how to interact with patients. So that's something that's that's something that's missing. And I think there's a nuanced difference in that between the way we uh, treat pa- patients in the UK and the way patients are treated in the US. Uh, I think in the US, you have slightly more emphasis on patient experience and patient engagement than we do here, but it's still you know, the, the the information that is generally provided by hospitals, even in the US, tends to be poor. And and that's because I think very often, and this is, and, and I, I really hope you haven't got a massive audience of physicians listening, because I'm just about <laughs> to insult all of them, but they're not necessarily the best place people to design information solutions. And uh, a lot of the interventions I've seen uh, in this space have been led by physicians. And whilst their input is incredibly important to make sure that the information you deliver is accurate, when it comes to thinking about interaction design, about how you engage users in 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 playing with information, in absorbing information, that's a designer's job, really, not a physician's job. Right. They they're different toolkits uh, yeah. that that you're working from. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that. You know, one of the long-held design best practices is you 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 take this user-centric approach and you talk to the people whose whose problem uh, you are working to address and, and to solve. And and so you know, typically you you pull together somewhat of a an expert advisory board, a, a customer advisory board. In this context, you talk to to children all the time. Take take us through that that process, the learnings. And we'll, we'll we'll get to the gamification piece here. Yeah. Okay. So so as, as I mentioned before, the very first thing we did was was invite school kids into our studio. The next thing we did once we'd uh, got some initial input from those children was to build some prototypes based on uh, on their their ideas. We then took those prototypes into a hospital setting and tested them with patients, parents, and and physicians. I've got really positive feedback on that. So, the, so the, the whole point of this is about doing things iteratively and about build, test, build, test, build, test all the time and always test with the end users. Um, so we we did things like we would, um, in the early stages of development, we did some, some lab-based testing where you watch users through a one-way mirror so that you they're they're unaware of of you there observing them, but you can observe how they're interacting with the platform. You can identify any problem areas. We did lots of questionnaire based research with with users with children, and then in 2018, I think 2018, we formed our our expert advisory board, which is our own group of children. The youngest is eight, the oldest is 16. And they, uh, they since 2018, they've kind of been in control of what we build and how we build it. You know, there, there have been features which we've spent a very long time designing that they've ended up saying, no, that can't go in the app because it's rubbish. And we've listened to them. Um, and, uh, and so they're not in the app. And there are other features which are in the app which they've designed or co-designed at least. And they, they, they essentially are our guarantee that what we build is age appropriate and fitting for, for, the, for the population we're trying to serve. And 
the, the one of the really interesting things about the makeup of that group is that we've got roughly 50% of the group are what I would call hospital experts. So they've been through uh, treatment for various d- diseases and conditions, and they they've kind of they kind of know everything about every procedure. And the other half of the group have never been into hospital for anything at all. So they are, in, in fact, probably closer to our, our ideal target user because what we're trying to do is reduce anxiety for those kids that are unfamiliar with hospital environments. So across the two, across the spread of the group, we get a really good balance of opinions. So as you're you're building and iterating and building and iterating and, and garnering this feedback, at what point do you, pulling in this, this idea of an MVP, right? How do you know that this is the requisite amount of information that you need to be offering, and that you know there might be something here? What 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 do you feel was the first big break through this whole iterative process? Yeah. Okay. So I think you're absolutely right. You can go on building and iterating forever, forever and ever, and polishing and just and never getting to the point where you've got a product ready for for release. So I think the point at which you can confidently say you've got an MVP is when what you've built is beginning to address the problem that you set out to address. So, you know, the problem that we set out to address was reducing anxiety for kids coming into hospital. And the point at which we had our first MVP was when we had something that was of a uh, build quality and readiness so that it could be put in front of children and we could measure whether it was reducing anxiety or not. So having, you know, a reached a baseline product where you feel you are beginning to address the the problem and then layering on top of that the 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 broader vision you have what is the path that you see for Exploro from there right, right. as you begin to layer on augmented reality avatars gamification all these learnings from the the conversations that that you're having Yeah so I I mean I guess you know the, probably the easiest way to start answering that question is to talk about our our long-term goal and work back from there. So so our long-term goal is to build a health education platform for any patient, any condition, anywhere in the world. So that's that's a lofty ambition. That's a hell of a lot of content. But that's where we're going. That's the journey we're on. And when we when we released our first MVP, where we were was we were able to talk to a a narrow, narrowly defined group of patients, so basically kids with cancer, and we could measure whether what we had built for those kids with cancer was reducing their their anxiety. So where we are now is we're you know we've embarked on that journey to any patient, any age, any condition, and we're continually building in now new features and new aspects to the platform that build us out into other disease areas, other age groups and other, other uh, territories as well. So I'd love to talk about the, the actual dynamics of what this looks like in practice and maybe as a way for us to, to get to those points, you know, just kind of take us through what this experience for a patient and maybe also for a clinician looks like from, from soup to nuts. You know, someone comes into the, the health system, what, what can they expect to experience? Yeah, well, let, let's talk about it from a patient perspective first, and then I'll talk briefly about the the physician experience. Um, so, from a patient's perspective, 
they download Exploro from an app store like any other app they might download from the app store. It's very important that, and this is a little bit of an aside to the patient experience, but it's very important that they think of Exploro as being, you know, like any other game or high quality app that they might download, not as being a piece of hospital information. I often describe it as being somewhere between Pokemon Go and The Sims in terms of the experience. So they download the app from the App Store. They use it on their own device, so they don't need any special hardware. It's not a VR application. They don't need a headset. They download it to their own device, and then they start using it. And the first thing they do is create and customize an avatar uh, that then becomes their guide through their healthcare journey. So so we're really super, super conscious about uh, diversity and inclusion. So they start, that avatar starts with no gender or racial alignment. It's up to the child to add those characteristics. So they, they, they customize the avatar, they build up the avatar into a, a being that they identify with, and then they give that avatar a name. They can't give it a free text name because um, we use the avatar in multiplayer gaming. So there's no personally identifiable information, but they give the avatar a name and it's usually a funny name like Johnny Bendy fingers or something, something like that. You know, it's a, a, a funny second name and a, a fairly standard first name is the, is the format. So they give the avatar a name. They can then see the avatar in augmented reality. So that helps them, helps the avatar feel real to them. And then once they've done that, they've kind of set up their avatar and they go into the main body of the app. And the avatar will then introduce them to things like hospital environments, to uh, various interactives that explain scary or complex procedures. The avatar can also answer any questions that they might have because it's an artificially intelligent chatbot. And they have a diary which enables them to to take control of their their day and understand what's going on. So um, everything kind of centers around the avatar, but there are all these other different mechanics for delivering playful information. So things like experiencing what an MRI scan is like or understanding how blood cancers are treated, a whole range of stuff, but delivered in a very, very playful and engaging way. And then from a, from a physician's perspective, what they see is data. So they have a management system. They can see how the app is being used by patients, how long they're spending in each area. They can, you know, for example, uh, we've got a research study going on at the moment where they're measuring how long uh, a patient is looking at certain pieces of content within Exploro and then measuring their levels of anxiety. So they're treating our digital content as dosage data in much the same way as a physician in a, a study might look at how many pills someone's had and then the effect that produces, uh, which is a really fascinating uh, fascinating departure for us to be looking at data in that way. Hmm. I think we'll hone in on the child's experience first here. And I, I want to talk about the, this power of, of games and the, the gaming dynamic. I've always been really interested in how societally we seem to somewhat underestimate the power of, of games or dismiss them as you know somewhat trivial or wasted time. And I, I just know from my own experience growing up with games how much I've learned from them. They were reformative. It was, it was, they were powerful platforms for me to, to learn about things, and they, they really grasp your attention in a way that few other things can. And it's the not often so spoken of truth 
that gaming is you know bigger than music and movies. And we we you know it's so in this world, what have you observed in gamifying the experience here? What what is the value that you can unlock with gaming dynamics that you couldn't otherwise? So I'm going to answer that first by relaying a message we have from a parent because for me this this message absolutely encapsulates the power of games to change behaviors and change perceptions so we got we got a message from a parent a few months ago now she sent this message and she, she the uh, she said that her her child who was halfway through treatment for osteosarcoma, which is a, a bone cancer. So he's halfway through treatment for, for, for bone cancer. He plays a game on Exploro. It's a, a, a game that we call Plasma Patrol. And in the game, you're running down a hospital corridor, you jump in a spaceship, spaceship takes off, you land in the bloodstream, and then you have to catch cancer cells, uh, and then you get power-ups if you capture bags of chemotherapy or vitamins or iron, and you have to avoid white blood cells and fat cells and pathogens and dead cells and various other things. It's like Osmosis Jones. Yeah, so he's playing this game, and uh, she said the next day he went into hospital for his fourth round of chemotherapy, and she said that he said to the nurse that he finally got why he was having chemotherapy. And that's all because he got 300 points in a power-up for capturing a bag of chemotherapy in that game. And she said there was a lightness about him that she hadn't seen before in, in all of his treatment. So just the act of playing that single game had changed his attitude towards this really invasive and really unpleasant treatment, uh, which I, th I think for me just completely speaks to the power of games and gamification. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. It's it's powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And and you know, we we got that message, and I have to say, uh, I didn't have dry eyes when I read it, and neither did the rest of the team. You know, it was uh, it was really moving to uh, to 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 hear that the work you're doing has produces an effect like that. Layering on the the physician, the the clinician experience on on top of that, how do you think about trying to quantify what you know, that obviously important experiences for a child of beginning to understand it, feeling more comfortable with what is actually happening to them from the clinician's perspective and, and from a data perspective. Uh -huh. Well, so the, the very first thing we did was, it's all very well to say we reduce anxiety, but without research, how can we prove it? So the very first thing we did when we had our first MVP was engage with our research partners who did a, a research study over here in the UK with 80 kids. And they found that those kids using Exploro demonstrated a statistically significant reduction in procedural anxiety, as well as statistically significant increases in patient satisfaction and knowledge about procedures. So, so that was, you know, as a first study, that was real gold dust for us because it, 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 pr it proved that we reduce anxiety. The problem from a physician's perspective. So, I mean, for anything to be purchased and used by a hospital, the first consideration is, will it save the hospital money? And it's very difficult to equate a reduction in, in anxiety directly with a cost saving. And if you talk to physicians about that, they will be really, really 
excited about the thought of reducing anxiety in their patients, but they won't know how they're going to get that through the procurement department because the procurement department are going to want to see a cost saving. And that's the same whether you're in the US or the UK or anywhere else in the world, rightly or wrongly. So what we've been doing over the last two or three years is looking at ways in which we can prove out not just that reduction in anxiety for the patients, but the health economic benefits for the provider. So we've got a couple of studies going on in in the US at the moment, one where we're looking at procedural efficiency in the radiology department. So I'll give you an example. So I I don't know if you've ever had an MRI scan. But sure, it's, yeah. Right, yeah, but it's a, it's a big, scary piece of equipment, makes a horrible noise. Um, <laughs> and about 20% of the people, not, not just kids, but about 20% of the people move the first time they have that MRI scan because they've got no idea what's going to happen. And then when, that, when those big bangs start up, you know, you move because you're scared. So what they're doing in this study is the, the assumption is that by using Exploro to prepare kids for MRI scans, we can reduce the number of repeat procedures, because if you move, that procedure has to be repeated. And the initial data back from that study is showing that that is having the desired effect. So that's really, really exciting. We've got another study over uh, also in the States where we're looking at the ability of Exploro to reduce the need for pre-surgical sedation. And again, the initial data back from that study is really positive. So when those studies are published, if they, if we can demonstrate reduction in repeat procedures, reduction in the need for sedation, we've got two really important health economic p- data points that show that Exploro not only makes the patient less anxious, but also results in cost savings for the provider. It's all really fascinating. There are a few more specific items I want to touch on, one of which is as you're building the, the business of Exploro, you know, at some point, we'll, we'll, we'll tie in Cleveland here, business, from a business perspective, it made sense to, to move the company to, to Cleveland. And I'd, I'd love to understand the, the reasoning for that. Yeah. So, so um, I mean, we haven't actually explicitly said this, but I'm guessing your listeners have guessed that I'm from the UK just by my <laughs> just by my accent. Um, so, you know, I guess the first thing I'll I'll talk about is why we're focusing on the states, and then I'll talk about why we've honed in on uh, Northeast Ohio as a place to be headquartered. So, you know, when I started out on this journey, I knew that we could never make a successful business out of Exploro just by selling Exploro into the UK's national health system. And the reason for that is 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 twofold really. One, the NHS national health system here is I would say probably the hardest health system in the world to launch an innovative idea. And, and just to put that in context, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a data point here. So the average time from introduction of an innovation into the NHS for it to become part of the doctor's workflow is, I'm, I'm Jeffrey, take a guess. How long do you think? Uh, it's going to be an upsettingly large number. Three years. Okay. <laughs> 17 years. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 17 years. Until recently, the NHS 
was the world's biggest user, user of fax machines. So, so that says a lot about the <laughs> NHS and innovation. Okay, so really difficult system to sell into. So I knew right from the start that we had to look at the US market. And also I had that connection with US healthcare through, through my daughter's treatment in, in Jacksonville in Florida. Back in 2020, we were lucky enough to be the only company outside of the US to be uh, accepted onto uh, an accelerator program run by Children's Hospital of Los Angeles called KidsX. And that was transformational for us. It it was a way, it did exactly what an accelerator is supposed to do. It accelerated our, our route into the US market. So it got, up, got us our first US customers. I, re- I, through that program, realized that Coming to the US is coming to 50 different countries, not one. I began to realize just how complex it was going to be, but it, it, it got us over that hurdle of, of actually entering the US market. And then fairly early on in that journey, I think it was April 2021, I was introduced to someone at uh, University Hospitals Cleveland really amazing guy called Brian Rothstein, who's part of the, the Ventures team at University Hospitals Cleveland. And we started talking about Exploro and how it might be used in, in their institution. And that led to us having discussions about co-developing some content. And through that, got introduced to their head of anesthesia, a, again, a really amazing person called Dr. Anne Stormork. And, and, uh, and we started talking about building a game for Exploro that would explain uh, an end-to-end sedation encounter. And uh, we're, we're very close to finishing that game now. So I was building this relationship with University Hospitals Cleveland. And then we started having investment discussions. And uh, uh, they've ended up uh, in- investing in us, but they also introduced us to some other northeast. Ohio investors, so uh, Jumpstart, Comeback Capital being two of them, and and they've both invested too. So one of the reasons, well, two of the reasons for coming to Northeast Ohio were were money and being close to one of our favourite customers, uh, University Hospitals Cleveland. But then as I got to know more about Ohio generally, I realised that actually it's one of the best places in the country that we could be to serve our core market, which is is children's hospitals. So in Ohio, you've got two of the top 10 children's hospitals nationwide in Cincinnati. And then you've got other really, really world-class children's hospitals in the state as well, Dayton, Akron, Rainbow Babies, part of the UH system. Uh, Cleveland Clinic's got its own children's hospital. And it's just a great center for healthcare. And then the other good thing, I sound like I should be working for the Ohio <laughs> Inward Investment <laughs> Agency, but I'm not. Um, the other thing that's really, really good for with being in, in Ohio is it actually puts us in fairly close proximity to a lot of our other customers. So we've got customers in Chicago, in Boston, in Toronto, and uh, down on the East Coast as well. So um, it's a good center to get to all of those places. Yeah, well, we're you know very excited to, to have you here. I think it's... Uh... It speaks to the the, the assets of, of the region, I think, very very eloquently. Yeah, yeah. And then there are there are other things, you know, like less expensive labor force, less expensive office space, all of those kind of things. That they weren't the reasons we chose Cleveland, but but they help. So you had mentioned earlier a, a greater 
vision, you know, the the longer term vision of a, a health information platform at, at large outside mm-hmm. the scope of, of of pediatric cancer. And I, I really love the the whole focus through the lens of of health literacy at, at large, because it as a as a as a patient, sometimes that it, it's an obvious problem. You 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 rarely understand the context around whatever it is you're you're going in to to see a, a doctor for. What is the the path to the you know the the larger health information platform that you're working towards here, and what what is the ultimate impact that you're you're hoping to have through that in, in retrospect? Yeah. Okay. So so the path is where we are now, and we're already you know we've already embarked on that on that path. So we're not just kids with cancer. Where we are now is we're still uh, very much focused on children. Primarily children aged between 7 and 16, 15, 16. But we've started to build content for new disease areas and treatments. So now we're, you know, now we're started with cancer. Now we've got a load of content around radiology. We've got a load of content around sedation. We've got a load of content around surgery. We're starting to look at content around uh, asthma and diabetes and and uh, sleep therapy as well is another area that we're looking into. So we're already beginning to build out that content. But if we want to get to be that health information platform for any patient, any age, any condition, that's a massive content development task. And we, we, we would be building content for the decades to come to reach that goal. So, so one of the things that we're doing is looking at opening up our platform to third party developers so that we can incorporate content from other developers. So other games, other interactive content. And we're already having some conversations in that area. And then the next thing we're doing, we're doing a project in the UK where we're, which will be the start of our road to an adult version where we're doing a user experience consultation with some late adolescents and young adults to understand their reactions to the current uh, Explorer application. We want to know if it's age-appropriate for them, and if not, what we need to change to make it age-appropriate. So out of that exercise, by, uh, by the fall of this year, we'll start to have an idea of where we need to go with the the, the look and feel of the adult version. The underlying technology won't need to change at all, but the, the user interface may do. So speaking to the, the underlying technology, there's this confluence here of, of what feel like all the, the modern breakthroughs in, in AI, in augmented reality, in, in gamification, in avatars, and you know the confluence of these things, what, what you're working on now probably wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. And, and you mentioned the you know some specific feedback you've 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 received already from from folks and how this has positively affected them but what more generally has been the feedback from you know the, this really technologically forward approach to to solving this problem has there been any resistance are, are people comfortable with with the confluence of all these technologies in in one well you've got to first of all remember that the majority of our users are kids aged between say, 7 and 15, this technology is not new technology to them. This technology is the technology of the day. Uh, So they're completely familiar with it. They don't see it as a new experimentation uh, in the way that, you know, someone more mature, should I say, 
uh, might be resistant uh, and might think it's some kind of newfangled thing, but it's not to a child. It's it's just the way things work. And so, I, you know, I don't think we certainly don't receive any resistance from from our users. We do sometimes get, you know, some resistance from some people in some of our, our potential customer organisations where where they they you know they think it's it's somehow experimental but i try you know i try not to talk too much to to them at least about the technology it's about the effect so you know we're using we're using technology as a means to an end we're not using augmented reality and artificial intelligence because they're the latest tech buzzwords we're using it because it produces a reduction in anxiety in children that's the most important thing what are the things that that you feel are the biggest barriers that you'll have to overcome when you when you think about what comes next i mean i've mentioned i've mentioned a couple already so we've got we've got a big content development task and uh you know we need we need to we need to be able to scale that effectively so that's that's a challenge we have challenges i mean all health healthcare organizations are uh, experiencing budgetary financial constraints so that's a challenge too we're addressing that by producing some evidence that shows that explorer can save money so uh, you know hopefully once that evidence is published that challenge will be reduced i guess those are the two biggest challenges that we face at the moment content development and uh, getting over those financial hurdles when you reflect on you know how much you've accomplished already with, with Exploro and, and where you are. What are some of the things that have surprised you uh, along the way that that you didn't expect coming coming into this? <laughs> well, the the original idea for Exploro, I talked at the top, the the top of the 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 the, the, the chat about uh, us getting those school kids in. So that was in 2015. That was eight years ago. I didn't expect it to take this long. I think that's true of any startup, really. Is you never expect the journey to be quite as long as it ends up being. So, so that, that that you know, I'm, I am by no means complaining. I'm having the whale of a time, really enjoying doing what we're doing, and it's really, really rewarding. But it's taking a long time. So, so I guess that that was that was unexpected. One of the things that I, you know, I mentioned that quote we got from that parent, and that's just been. I didn't think we could build something that would have that kind of effect. And that's been incredible. And then allied to that, something that I'd like to just briefly mention is what we're doing in Africa. So we paired up with a, a charity called World Child Cancer about two years ago. And we basically said to them that in low and middle income countries, they can have Explorer licenses for free. And so now we're, we're seeing kids in Ghana, Cameroon and Malawi all having access to Exploro. I didn't I didn't ever imagine that we would I would be able to sit here and say that we were, you know, in three African countries and soon to be a fourth and and also looking at some countries in the, in the far east as well. So having that kind of world reach and being able to affect a difference on children who who just there's no way they would they would come into contact with something like Exploro normally. So that's been incredible. Hmm. With those those lessons and learnings, is there any you know advice you would offer up to to other aspiring entrepreneurs, people currently building in the in the healthcare space? 
Um, well, don't give up <laughs> would be one. Um, I think building building product in the healthcare space is always a long journey and it's always a hard journey, but the rewards can be phenomenal. And I think you need to have you need to have a high degree of resilience. I'm really pig headed, you know. When people have told me that just stop now, it's not going to work. It just makes me work harder. So. You know, I think you've just got to be resilient. You've just got to battle on and believe in what you're doing. Well, for one, having co-founded my own company in the healthcare space, it, it all resonates very much. Uh, <laughs> it, it takes uh, a lot longer than, than you think, but the, the impact is, is worth it. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, if my traditional closing question will be fair to you <laughs> in advance of you know fully being here in Cleveland, but it, 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 it happens to be about you know for hidden gems in the area and and other things that people may not know about so so i guess where i might fall down is that they're probably all the things that i consider to be hidden gems in the cleveland area are probably well-known landmarks to anyone that actually lives <laughs> there but uh, uh i you know i'm a I, i'm a frequent visitor to cleveland and uh, i found i found the places i really my go-to places so you know whenever i i come i i usually stay in Ohio City. I really love the the area. It's really funky. There's lots of lots of good things to do, lots of good bars and restaurants. I've discovered a, a bar there I particularly like, which is the Velvet Tango Rooms, uh, mm. which is uh, a really cool spot. Last time I was there, which was last week, when I go to when I go anywhere, I always like to walk around the city. And I was on a long walk last uh, a week ago last Sunday around Cleveland, and I ended up on um, Larchmere Boulevard. I was hungry. It was lunchtime. I don't eat meat, and I was looking for somewhere good to go, and I discovered a place called uh, Convenient Vegan, uh, which was a really good place for uh, an all-you-can-eat vegan Sunday buffet. So, uh, So that was really good. And then if I can have one more place... Uh, which Absolutely. I'm sure everyone in Cleveland knows about, but I discovered for the first time a couple of months ago, and that was the National Park, Cuyahoga. Did a lot of walking there and uh, had a lovely time just walking around the park. So Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely place indeed. Yeah. Well, Dom, I really... Uh... I, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I know it uh, it took a bit of of coordinating here, but um, it's it's amazing the the work that you're doing, and and very excited to to have you in in the community. Great, I'm excited to be there. If people had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the the best way for them to do so? Uh, best way to do that is to find me on LinkedIn. I think it's I'm fairly easy to find. You can either type in Exploro or Dom Rabin. Either way, you'll you'll end up finding me. Mention mention this show in a in a connection request, and I'll I'll connect. Amazing. Well, thank you, thank you again, Dom. This this was awesome. Brilliant. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. 
At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.